tricky. So um, I think the plan with this is that I've got about 20 minutes and then um, we've got the chance to have a conversation. I'm really excited about this talk because there's a very diverse group of people in the room. So hopefully um, uh, we can stimulate some discussion about um, what we do with legislation as data and what some of the, some of the um, people in this room envisage as the possibilities. Now, why does this stuff matter? Um, access to legislation matters fundamentally as a constitutional principle. And um, uh, for, there probably are some lawyers here. The lawyers, of course, will be familiar with um, Lord Diplock. Um, the acceptance of the rule of law as a constitutional principle, no less, requires that a citizen, before committing himself to any course of action, should be able to know in advance what the legal principles are which flow from it. It means access to the laws that govern us is really, really important. And my job and my privilege is to work um, for the UK National Archives um, and um, to be responsible for a service called legislation.gov.uk. Now, one of the interesting things, if you look over the last 20 years, um, is the democratisation of access to all forms of information enabled by the web, and in particular access to legal information. Um, we find that when people confront obligations in statute in a way in which wasn't possible 20 years ago, your first inclination is to go to Google and to type the name of the piece of legislation and you will typically find it very quickly on legislation.gov.uk. Um, now, it may be that you find that easy or difficult to interpret, but for sure um, there is an enormous public appetite and need for direct access to primary legislative material. Um, and that's the service that we provide. It's a little bit like... Um, in the healthcare world, um, when you go along and see your doctor and they diagnose you with something, you want to go and immediately um, Google that particular condition. I know this, um, having uh, uh, done precisely that not too long ago myself. So this is legislation.gov.uk. If you, um, the thing to try if you want to get how this service works is um, to have your favourite piece of legislation. And sometimes I say, what's your favourite piece of legislation? And with some audiences, that works brilliantly. And with other audiences, that completely, um, that completely dies. Um, maybe I will try here. What's your favourite piece of legislation? Ah, OK. And has anyone got a named act? As here. Data protection, yeah, that's a good one. So just a, a little hint about how legislation GovUK works. Now, if I'm brave, so Google's kind of magical for this because I've got as far as data. Right, let's go, do you want the Data Protection Act? Do you mean the 1998 Act? I've got as far as data. Um, now... Look at that. Data Protection Act on legislation.gov.uk. Um, we see something like 2 million unique visitors a calendar month and surface between 5 to 10 million page views a week. Um, 
So, um, and that's essentially the user journey for um, finding and accessing legislation. But you don't want to know about that because really we're talking about legislation as data. Um, so, it wasn't always this way. I want to talk a little bit about some of the inspirations because in this topic of legislation as data, I'm going to talk partly about the concerns and considerations of legislation, why it makes sense to represent it as data, how we're doing that now, and what the opportunities are of moving to an open data-oriented way of curating and managing the UK government statute book. When we embarked on the journey of creating legislation at gov.uk, um, I was really inspired by this, and this is an old slide from 2005, and I was working for what was then called the Office of Public Sector Information in the Cabinet Office, and this was produced by someone called Tom Coates, who was then working for the BBC, and he set out some principles for a web of data, and this was a key inspiration to um, the team who were working on and what became legislation.gov.uk, and a key inspiration for me, um, start designing with data, not with pages. Identify your first-order objects and make them addressable. So if you've got a legislation database, what are your first-order objects? Are there pieces of legislation? What does it mean to make those things addressable, and how does that help? These are the basic building blocks, the raw material for thinking about legislation as data. The trouble was, in... 2005, I was running a service where legislation looked like this. So this is static HTML, three pages as files on a web server with some SGML-based data that had kind of fallen out of sync because we were applying all of the corrections in the thousands of correction slips directly to the HTML, not to the SGML-based data. Um, genius, genius, genius. So... How do you move from a world of HTML3 web pages looking something like this to what we now see on legislation.gov.uk? There are three considerations when you think about legislation as data. The first is, um, is kind of typographic layout. The, um, the drafters um, care very deeply, and Parliament cares very deeply, about the structure of these documents. In fact, the structure of these documents conveys and contains some of its legal meaning. So if you're going to capture legislation, you have to capture the essential elements of its layout. Um, and these documents are formal. You also need to think about how these documents are versioned and managed over time. And ideally, you have good patterns for representing information that's contained in the documents as data so people can use and consume it. Now, for us, we have thought very carefully about the standards we use for tackling some of these sorts of problems. The layout problem, the versioning problem, and the semantics problem. And the foundational piece is about how you name things. Um, so um, for those of you who are um, into the linked data world, um, you'll be familiar with the concept of URIs, of having web-centric names for addressing content. And for us, those URIs are important, partly in terms of how legislation.gov.uk as a website works, but also it provides the underpinning for how we can point, reference, 
legislation as data, and all of our data language work, our data modeling, our semantic information uses URIs. Please. Uh, so, if you go to the site, we will give you the best available version that we have, which is a current version of the legislation. The government's legislation database isn't currently up to date. We are working with partners, some of whom are here, to bring that legislation up to date, because the public expects, when they look at legislation on the web, to be... They expect it to be current in force and to apply to where they live. And the notion that it might not be has not entered their mind. People understand that legislation is introduced into Parliament by the government and gets debated and changed. They do not necessarily readily understand that legislation changes one document after another. Um, applying those changes and managing those changes is, um, is one of the key things that we... Um, are doing, and there is both a linked data story and an open data story that I'm going to um, hopefully get to. Um, naming things is transformative, absolutely transformative. So it changes how people talk about legislation. So you can just see on Twitter, I do a search every day about people who are making references to legislation on Twitter. Um, in the legislation world, um, we have just had in December a decision of the Council of Ministers to introduce this thing called the European Legislation Identifier. Um, and I was confronted with the um, slightly tricky problem of writing the submission to explain this fairly technical um, consideration to um, our minister who was going to be agreeing this. Um, so, well, how on earth do you talk about legislation identifiers in a non-techie-friendly way? I'm not sure I altogether solved it. Um, but the point is that by having a system of being able to address parts of documents, you can make statements about the information those documents contain, and you can link information about those documents with other information. It gives you new insights. Um, what are the sorts of things you can start to see? Um, this was my sort of Christmas holiday project. This is a view of the UK statute book, new statutory instruments by the size of the legislation since... 2000 and you can see these are the European stemming things and these are the domestic stemming things and you can see the different types of legislation we have, so regulations, rules and orders and you can see the things that are new and the things that are amending and then the bubbles are the departments and this is using data to get a view of what kind of shape is our statute book and how is it changing um, so here you can now see, just looking at regulations, how much regulations are domestic and how much of our regulations, by kind of volume of legislation, are European, how much is new and how much is amending. And you can also see the departments that are making the legislation, um, the impact of devolution with the Welsh Government, the Department for Education making new domestic regulations, but nothing that's European, or very little. So we can have insights about the statute book by thinking about it as data, but there's more that we can do. Um, and um, 
uh, we're in a very interesting place where we're starting to think about what it means to conceive of legislation as data and also conceive of legislation as code. Another topic. At this point, I wanted to quickly show you how easy it is to get hold of the data that is in legislation.gov.uk. So I'm going to jump to the browser, and we've talked about the addressing scheme. Um, but one of the things we tried to do when we created legislation.gov.uk was to make it as giving of the information we hold in our database as we possibly could. Um, now, the way in which this works is through some fairly straightforward patterns. So let's go to the Data Protection Act, and instead of having the table of contents, we'll risk trying to pull back the whole act on a page, which is a fairly big document when that's done. Now, if you wanted the best available data we have of this act, there's a very simple pattern. You just go forward slash data dot XML, and we wait. And if I do a... view page source... Believe it or not, it's not rendered very well in that screen. Um, that's the raw data that we have about that legislation. In fact, you can take from legislation.gov.uk and freely reuse the underlying data for any piece of legislation, either in its original form or the latest revised version that we have, following these very simple patterns, um, adding data.xml. If you wanted a plain view um, to embed in some other application, you can pull back an H a pure kind of HTML view um, that you can incorporate. Um, if you wanted, which lots of people actually really like, um, a PDF view, there's a PDF view, essentially of the same document. So we have the underlying information, and you can render it in lots of different ways, including having access to the underlying data. So this just describes very briefly the patterns forward slash data.xml for the underlying data, lists data.feed. And we've also made available the code for processing that data on GitHub. Now, I want to talk a little bit about linked data. And this is like, I put up Henry Maudsley to explain a little bit about linked data. This is about the idea that we have been in a world where our data has been really deeply siloed. And he invented a thing called the screw-cutting lathe, to get us from a world of individually made and paired nuts and bolts, or individually made and paired data sets, to a place where we can start connecting those things together. So what linked data standards allow us to do is to think about document-type structures and unstructured text, and structured data that computers can easily use and consume. And what we're interested in is expressing facts in legislation from unstructured text as structured data. And using linked data,
for the technical people, it's about two things. One is URIs to name things, those addresses we were talking about earlier. And the second is having a very flexible way of modeling your data. Um, it's called a graph-based data model. So how does linked data help? Well, with legislation, one of the things we worry about is how legislation changes over time. And this is an example from the Academies Act. Um, and I'm slightly nervous because the draft of the Academies Act is in the room. Uh, <laughs> I need to make sure I don't get this wrong. But the Section 12 of the Academies Act in subsection 4 amends the Charities Act 1993 by inserting some words into it. So there's an amendment. But if you look at section 19, there's some information that says when this amendment gets turned on. So it says sections 15 to 20 come into force on the day the Act is passed. But we were looking at section 12, which amends the Charities Act. So what's happening with that? Well... That comes into force on some other day, decided by the Secretary of State, decided by the government, with a thing called a commencement order. So then you go, okay, well, let's try and find a commencement order. So here's the commencement order for Section 12, and it comes into force on the 1st of January 2011, and there is Section 12.4, the thing that we're really interested in. So you end up with this kind of A changes B when C says so, issue that you need to represent or we need to represent in data um, and in solving the problem of how you represent this type of information um, I contend that we solve a more general problem of how you start to represent arbitrarily many different facts that legislation contains now in order to understand the current enforce state of any one piece of legislation there's a kind of graph which Jenny Tennyson drew um, taking all of the effects on one statute so it, you realise that legislation actually is a complex and adaptive system and producing these revised versions is the key work of my team and we use um, linked database tools of which this is an example. But actually, legislation is more powerful as data than just thinking purely in terms of legislative effects. And I think of it this way. Um, there's these kind of axes that run through almost every statement that we make. Um, in a machine processable way, um, there's an axis about location. Where does something happen? Where is an organisation? Where is a person? There's an axis about time. But there's also this kind of conceptual axis. And many of the things that we worry about, concepts, are defined in legislation. In fact, when you start working your way through the statute book, there's data data everywhere. Um, in terms of definitions, in terms of changes to legislation data that we were just talking about, in terms of pieces of legislation that create duties or powers or create offences or transpose an obligation um, from European legislation on the UK or designate some bodies. So to give you some examples, what does it mean to be a company? What does it mean to be a school? These are facts, concepts that are defined in legislation and that can be feasibly represented as data. So this, for example, is um, from the Companies Act. And these notions of, for example, a company limited by guarantee and having share capital is a thing that you can start to point to. And it's a thing that you can turn into structured information.
you can start to share information. If you have some data about companies and I have some data about companies and we want to be confident that we mean the same thing when we talk about a company, we can share information by saying, yes, I mean the concept that is defined in statute. I mean the notion that's defined in statute. And the identifiers give you a way of pointing to that concept. Legislation is also full of data that does things like designate things. So, for example, here, um, uh, which um, I know is um, a particular favourite of Richard Sterling, I can see hiding at the back, is the whole of government accounts designation of bodies order. So there's one of these every year. We'll just designate for the purposes of the government accounts which the organisations are that constitute the government. So if you want to know what is the government and you're looking for a data set, if we can turn this into structured data and it's more or less there, you have a reliable, meaningful, useful data set of the structure of government. There's also economic data contained in things called impact assessments. So again, you find... Um, so this is the economic impact in a supplementary document of a particular piece of legislation. Here it's a, um, a statutory instrument passed by the Department for Culture, Media and Sport. And you can see how close how close we are to being able to have this information as structured data. If only we can find the patent, and if only we can find the tools for tipping out these tables into machine-processable, machine-readable information. Similarly, with transpositions, um, which directives match to which UK parts of the statute book? We produce structured data almost already across government. We are close to being able to represent this information as useful structured data, and that gives us new insights. So what are the kinds of things that we might learn? Well, for example, when did we change the law such that it made an impact on conviction rates? So what would you need? Well, you'd need to know about changes to legislation. Ah, so there's a database of that held by the National Archives to support legislation.gov.uk. You would also need some statistics about conviction rates. Um, and there's a data set about that held by the Ministry of Justice. Using linked data standards, it's possible to combine those two things. So you can have a view of when did we change, which pieces of legislation, in what way that was impactful statistically in terms of the conviction rates for that offence. This is data that we already have. We have patterns now for being able to solve these types of technical problems. Um, it's simply a question of identifying the areas where we can best deploy the tools to solve these types of questions, these types of problems. And the key is using these URIs to link everything together. If we're moving into this world, we're also going to need to take good care of provenance um, when you're publishing legislation. It's very important that you know by what right are you asserting that this is in fact a true and correct statement of the law that governs us. And we've been working hard to develop a new publishing system that does just that. So this is something that's um, just started to be used in the Scottish Government that we're looking to 
uh, make available for the UK government that basically captures the provenance information associated with new legislation. Now, gathering all of this data means that we need an effective operating model for doing it, and the government can't do it on its own. It's really important um, to work with partners, people who can benefit from legislation um, information in terms of adding value to it, developing and improving their own products and services. And the inspiration, for me at least, is open source software. Um, many companies have built successful business models using open source. We wouldn't see Google or Facebook without open source software. Um, and it kind of solves the hold-up problem for core materials. You don't want to base your business on something that someone else is someone else owns because they can point a gun at you. So how do we solve the hold-up problem with legislation data, both the documents and the structured information that those documents contain? Well, open source is called the impossible public good. It's a large and complex system enabled by the internet, two elements. You need a system of sustained value creation and you need a system of governance. Holding together a community of producers with distributed property rights. It's in a nutshell, how open source works. So can we apply the same logic to data? With legislation data, that's precisely what we're doing. Um, so we have large and complex data. It's enabled by the internet. We have a system of sustainable value creation. And we have a system of government governance holding together a community of producers who are collectively curating and maintaining a public, open data set. Now, if we are to truly exploit the potential of legislation as data, beyond narrowly a world of documents, not just have public, open and free access to up-to-date revised statutes, but understand the statute book in terms of the offences it creates, the duties or the powers that it gives either government or the citizen, um, to understand the impact of European law on domestic law and so on and so on, open is the only way, the only model that scales big enough to allow enough of us to collaborate to solve these kinds of problems. And um, we are very much advocates of that approach. Um, at the moment, we're working hard on a program called the Expert Participation Program, and um, I know one of the best contributors, um, leading contributors, um, Elizabeth is here, um, who's made an enormous contribution to um, helping to bring the government's legislation database up to date. Um, expert participation is about maximizing availability of the data, allowing other people to work with us to add value to the data that we hold so they can add value in turn of their own. And it's an operating model for curating and maintaining large, high-quality public data sets. I've got two more slides. Um, it's enabling us to get the level of investment and editorial effort to mean that we can countenance the kind of editorial activity to explore some of those other possibilities that we were talking about earlier. Um, what's the economic impact of legislation? Where are their offences? Where are their duties? Where are their powers? Where are their facts? Where can I describe how I am complying with the law as a business 
in a way that means that I can directly query the government's legislation database and know that none of the things that I think I've complied with when I devised my HR policy um, or my environmental management policy have changed. Now, there are challenges for doing these things. Governance, process, quality, technology, culture, guarantees. We have learned about how you begin to solve some of these things. And there is an opportunity, I think, for all of us who are interested in, um, right the way through the legislative cycle, um, from um, publishers, drafters, legislatures, um, users and consumers of legislation, lawyers, judges, to move to open as a way in which we can truly benefit from and exploit the statute book in a wholly new way. My final thought um, is really I'm borrowing from Marshall McLuhan. We shape our tools and they in turn shape us. Um, we have within our grasp the ability to tame the statute book, which has become in some ways quite an unruly kind of place, um, to understand it, to interact with it, to machine process parts of it to um, ease the burden of compliance, to ease the process of having effective both policy interactions and amendments by understanding it as structured data. We have a set of patterns for being able to do that and we have the mechanism to make that open and available and to bring together a wide enough group of people to um, create a truly useful information asset that will be um, of great value for the UK economically um, as much as in terms of just narrowly users of legislation under gov.uk. This isn't just about users of legislation under gov.uk. Um, what impact does that have ultimately on the laws that govern us? Well, we shape our tools and they in turn shape us. And I will leave you with that thought um, in terms of the impact of legislation as data.